0: So today we we can't go through Proverbs without mentioning the most the most mentioned and talked about part of Proverbs, and that is on the work and words of the tongue. And so we've titled this morning's message "Wise Words." So before any more ado, I want to launch in by saying, without making any political statements, I I I need to point out that this is a problem in in, in our in our society today. It's a problem in our media um, platforms. It's a problem in our political discourse. The issue of words and how they are used is a problem. Um, Two prominent leaders in North America, which I won't name names, both exhibit a a real struggle to say things that are truthful and things that they will follow up in policy. Um, Outright lying, deception, virtue signaling. These are all things that we see commonplace and accepted among those that are supposed to be our lawmakers. It's a problem, and we as the church need to stand in the gap and, and speak truthful words and instruct our world on what is true, righteous, equitous, and just. Unfortunately, fake news is very often indistinguishable from the truth. And so I ask, when, will, when, will, when can we and when can we expect to turn to our neighbors and our public figures and hear good words and true words? Aren't you ever weary of hearing the repeated foolishness and lies that are so often fed to us? I want you to hear from the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter eight says, hear, for I will speak noble things and from my lips will come what is right for my mouth will utter truth. I'm gonna read Proverbs chapter eight, one to 11. Does not wisdom call does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way? At the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. To you, O oh man, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O oh, simple ones, learn prudence. O oh, fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is, what is right. For my lips will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, um, we recognize that we fall short. As, as Isaiah said when he saw you, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then you came and you touched his tongue with a hot coal and you purified him to speak, Lord. And we see and we recognize that in Christ, you spoke a final word, a final good word to your people, Lord. And I pray that as we come to the Proverbs, uh, God, we would humble ourselves and say, we are men and women of unclean lips, Lord, and that you would touch us And purify our mouths to speak that which is true and good and reflective of our Savior Jesus Christ. So help us now as we look into your word. Help us believe and be filled with the spirit of wisdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So before we talk about how we need to speak, this is not going to be a lecture on your no more cussing, okay? We're going to do better than that, I hope. This is not about just cleaning up your language, all right, so that you're necessarily a a better witness. This is about what words really are. And before we talk about how we should speak, uh, we need to learn what speaking is. And this might sound a little bit um, maybe rudimentary or counterintuitive to you, but what are words besides the things that we say to each other or the how we order a pizza or how we communicate that we are frustrated? What are words in the economy of God? So let's find out what the biblical history of speech is. And this is by no means exhaustive. But if you were here last week, we talked about work. And we couldn't start talking about our work until we first learned about what God's work was. God's work was to create the world in the beginning from nothing. So from God's original work comes all of our ability to work, right? Because he created matter. He created air and fire and space and rock and elements. And from that, we can craft and create out of the gifts that he has given us. Well, speech is very similar. Speak, speech makes its first appearance in the fourth sentence of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said. He spoke, and we find in that a description of how the first three sentences took place. He created in the beginning. How did he do it? He said. So we find the blueprints for how God created in the first place, that quintessential act of work, we find how it takes place through his speech. He created by speaking. All creation was defined by the imagination of God. God didn't just kind of throw material against the wall and say, well, what does it look like? Well, I'll call that a tree. God was not haphazard in how he created. In fact, he created out of the blueprint of his imagination. He created, he gave shape to the forms that were in his mind. It was expressed through the words that he actually chose to bring them into existence. What was light besides the imagination of God creating it and giving it a name of light? Light is is nothing more than the actual formation of God's imagination of what it is. God was not limited by material, energy, time, or skill because... Most of those things didn't even exist. How could he be limited in them? He was only limited in and of himself and what he chose to do. At his disposal was an infinite mind, which was given form by infinite language. And by infinite, I mean infinitely accessible to him. There was nothing that stopped him. There was no, like me at the beginning of this sermon, struggling for a word to describe the Proverbs. I mean, how small is my mind? I'm so limited in my vocabulary, even when I've had all week to prepare. And that frustrates me. But God is not limited by these things. Speech in its very first expression was the power behind creation. It's what made his ideas realities. That is a fantastic thought to wrap your mind around. That's a comfort because when God wanted something done, he didn't just sit there and groan about it or call up the union or see if he had a permit for it. His words were the power behind creation. He depended on nobody. As humans, we're made in God's image and we possess a modified form of that power. We are made in God's image according to his word and we possess a modified form of that power. You may notice you cannot speak into existence your dinner or the pizza that you wish you were eating on Friday night or whatever. You can't speak into existence the finishing of your house if that's where you're at right now. Work takes um, our, our hands and our feet in a way that God did not require. But nonetheless, we don't want to diminish or separate somehow our words from their originator of words themselves, who is God. Unfortunately, in our sin-cursed world, that power has been abused and unleashed as a great evil. And it's come through the tongue. I want to read to you quickly James chapter 3, and we're not going to exposit James chapter 3, even though it, it begs to be. James chapter 3 verse 2 says this, i got to find it first. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, they are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. It boasts of great things. In our sin-cursed world, unfortunately, that power which harnesses the power of the wind and the will of the pilot has been corrupted and boasts great things and causes great destruction. Uh, James goes on to say, "What what fire is set ablaze by the tongue?" Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Before we recognize and talk about how we should speak, we need to recognize the power that speech has. And so when we recognize speech and its history and its function, then we can properly apply it to demonstrate how it should be used in God's work of redeeming humanity as a tool for reconstruction. Reconstruction. In our sin-cursed world, that should be the primary use of our speech as a tool for reconstruction. And I say reconstruction because God made all things good, right? He made them all good by the word of his mouth. Now we live in a sin-cursed world where things have deteriorated and, and been corrupted against the principles that God has created them for. And yet now we are part of God's redeeming work in the world, aren't we? We are part of the redeeming mission of God. And so therefore, our words ought to be harnessed as a tool for reconstruction, redefinition, rebuilding the things of God. In fact, the origin of diverse language came first from an event in Scripture where man's pride coupled with his creative power became an affront to God, became an assault on God's lordship and sovereignty. This is the Tower of Babel. And God thwarted construction of Babel, By sending a lightning bolt and destroying it, by sending red tape, he confused their language. He diversified and scattered them through language. This was a barrier that man then had to create. God said, if I leave them to speak the same language, then there is no limit to what they will accomplish. And because they've been corrupted, their accomplishment will be an assault on God rather than a praise and worship to God, which is what man truly needs. And so God scattered them through language, He blocked their communication and he put an end to the construction of Babel. And as part of God's redeemed creation, we are given instruction for wise words through the Proverbs as a means of restoring our community to truth, justice, and equity for all. I'll say that one more time. As part of God's redeemed creation, we now stand on the side of redeemed, right? We are not yet fully restored, but we are redeemed we are given instruction for wise words through the Proverbs and the rest of Scripture, but specifically Proverbs, as a means of restoring our community to truth, justice, and equity for all. Think of the power that are in your words to create truth, justice, and equity in our communities. And so, because of that, our words are a means of restoring, sorry, our, me, our words are a means um, for constructive purposes, for the things of God, and they're also destructive in important ways. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we are to destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. We are to destroy arguments and things raised against God. Christians, if you think that your role in the world is to be completely passive and stay out of it if people disagree with you, it's not the call of the Christian. Because we need to first dismantle and destroy lofty arguments raised against God so that people's minds are ready to hear the truth when people see the futility of their own thinking and the foolishness of rebelling against God, then you have an opening to share the truth. And so it's not ungodly to deconstruct and to destroy things, uh, thoughts and opinions raised against God. And so we're also going to see the Proverbs speak much of the wise tongue bringing and spreading knowledge. So there's kind of two categories. Proverbs doesn't give us very many categories, which is a nice thing if you're uh, simple like me. Number one, it gives us the dangers and the abuse of speech. Okay, there's your first heading. And what I want you to see in these two headings is that words and the way Proverbs speak of words words implies the sanctity of human relationships. It implies the importance of relating one to another. we just saying, brother, love binds man to man. This is part of our doctrine. And words are part of the love and the, and the um, relationship that we have that binds man to man in God's world. And so here's the dangers in the abusive speech and we're going to we're going to end on a happy note. We're going to talk about the powers and the goodness of speech after. But number 1 is foolish speech. Foolish speech can be categorized as too much talking, which includes boasting, uh, mindlessly sharing your opinion, venting your frustration, and carelessly joking. Like, whoa, that's pretty legalistic, don't you think? Well, why don't we ask the Bible? What's legalistic? The Bible says that foolish speech can be characterized as too much talking, which includes boasting, mindlessly sharing your opinion, venting your frustration verbally, and careless joking. And I don't, I'm not just trying to be um, you know, a wet blanket on your humor, but let's hear what the Proverbs have to, have to say about the ways that we speak. Proverbs 10, 19 says, Where words are many, sin is not absent. That is one that I, my dad repeated a lot. I'm not sure why. Where words are many, sin is not absent. So just just speaking a lot less, we can contribute to the holiness of our world. Have you ever thought of that? The power that we have just to not speak, to add holiness to our world. To be constrained by knowledge that we don't always improve situations by talking more. Where words are many, sin is not absent. We don't necessarily improve situations by speaking more. Proverbs 27, 1-2 to to says, Let another man praise you and not your own lips. This should be informed by the knowledge that our sin and our failure should restrain us from self-boasting. I think when you hear a lot of self-praise, that's a person who's not really in tune with their corrupt nature. Somebody who boasts is not recognizing that it is Christ who gave us good works to walk in, right? Paul in Galatians 6.14, I want to read that for you. This is, Paul's, this is Paul's way of boasting. Paul was a man who was very astute before the law of God and very uh, well, well-to-do in the, uh, in the Hebrew community, well-respected. But he says this, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let us not be found boasting in ourselves. Let us be found boasting in the goodness of Jesus Christ. Because as Christians, we're not going to fulfill the Great Commission by drawing people to us. And by extolling our greatness. You know why? Because when you become the object of somebody else's affection, you will let them down. And you will ultimately destroy a human relationship. But if you draw people to Christ, they will see him. They will worship him. Proverbs 18, chapter 2 says, A fool is only interested in expressing his own opinion. I'm not paraphrasing it says a fool is interested only in expressing his own opinion this is this is we're all guilty of this we're so eager to interject our opinion on a situation or our the way things should have been done in our eyes that contrasts sharply with the wise who seeks to learn from others to hear the whole story to be well informed before we speak opinions are well let's not go with that expression but Everyone's got one. Everyone's got an opinion. It doesn't make us special to have opinions. What makes your speech valuable is when your opinion is truthful, it's informed by God's word, and it is spoken in a manner of love. A fool is only interested in expressing his own opinion, but it goes about ignoring other people. 29.11 Proverbs says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. But I ask, don't we always deserve to be heard? Don't we always deserve somebody to stand and listen to us when we're just so frustrated? When it's been the worst week ever? When so and so has been on our nerves? A fool gives full vent to his spirit. And I feel like we really feel entitled to this as the as the church in our uber comfortable, uber self expressive um, culture. We need to be heard. We need people to hear what's just driving us crazy because we're so right, and we give full vent to our spirit. Remember, where words are many, sin is not absent. How many of you are able to vent your frustration without saying a word of sin? None of us. None of us, because we judge others, and we condemn others, and we are impatient. Our our words are so full of sin. It's not because you're more sinful than me or the other person. It's just because we are sinners. And God knows when we speak a lot, we sin a lot. James chapter 3, verse 4, we already read it. Consider the ship, though so large, is driven by a small rudder where the pilot wants to go. So hear this. We are formed by the words that we speak. We are formed, we are directed, we are guided by our own words. So often we think we are influencing others by the way we speak, and we can, but nobody is more influenced by the words that you speak than you. Than you. You, Which is why when we read the Psalms together, it talks about my lips shall praise my God. Sing together. This is why we practice with, in our our congregation, we practice speaking the goodness of God. So that when we go home and we're tempted to all of a sudden vent our spirit, that contrasts with what we were just saying this morning. I don't want our services to be one person talking and everybody else listening. I want us to participate in the praise of God with our lips with our lips, because we are formed, we are directed, we are guided by the things that we say. Didn't you notice that? Though a ship is large, it is guided by a small rudder. Your body is the ship, your tongue is the rudder. Which direction are you going? Look at the words that you speak and you'll know. And so because of that, restraint for its own sake is valuable Restraint for its own sake is valuable. Not speaking for its, just for the sake of not speaking is valuable. You know why? Because our words are tainted with sin. Proverbs 13.3 puts this most clearly. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Comes to Ruin. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Why? Because we are defiled and we are guided by the sin that our words contain. You know what saying? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. That's for your good, not just your family's. Don't say anything at all because to restrain it is to avoid being influenced by it. For some reason, we believe the words that we say. So number one is foolish speech. Number two is destructive speech. Gossip. Revisiting sin, insults, and harsh words are all covered in Proverbs. Proverbs 18, 7, and 8. Listen to this. The words of the whisperer go down like delicious morsels. How good is it just to hear somebody else gossip about somebody? Words of a whisperer go down like delicious morsels. For some reason, I'll tell you why. I know the reason, but we delight in the failure of, of others. We delight in the conflict of other people. We relish conflict between human beings, especially if we're not involved. We're like, oh good, this one's not about me. I want to hear all about it. Why? Why do we enjoy other people's gossip and slander so much? Not a deep psychological answer. It's because we're sinners. You and I both enjoy it because we're sinners. Because we don't have the heart of Christ that, that loves everybody for their own good equally and powerfully. It's because we're sinners. That's why we delight in things that are evil. There's no psychological reason for you to examine yourself and say, well, why am I engaging in this? You know what? That's why you just get away. There's no way to whitewash the the way we enjoy gossip. How many people in the Christian circles is like, well, we're trying to help this person. That's why the four of us are standing around talking about their sin. That's not a method given in scriptures for bringing somebody closer to Christ. The method for bringing somebody closer to Christ with your words is to go to them and to win them back with your words. Friends, I am as guilty as you in this. I delight in other people's conflict. It's because I'm a sinner. It's because I desperately need God's sanctification. Gossip, what else? Revisiting sin. 17 verse nine, Proverbs 17 verse nine says, he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Are we guilty of constantly bringing something back up? Hey, remember when you did that? Oh, that's just, this is just reminding me of the time that you did another sin against me. You know, you see friends getting along, you're like, hey, how, did you, how are you guys doing? Didn't, didn't you like backstab you like one time? Like, how are you guys doing so well? He who, separ- he who repeats a matter separates close friends. I think kids are really good at this. Mom, this is what happened. No, I already dealt with it. But don't you remember when, no, I already dealt with it. When things are dealt with, then we bury them. We let them be gone. You know why? Because we have the power in Christ to forgive and actually to forget. We do have that power. And even if you don't forget because our minds are sticky and they grab onto things that offend us, we don't need to repeat them again. We don't need to heap guilt back on because imagine if Christ repeated a matter to you and me in the ways that we have failed him and sinned against him and abandoned him Does Christ repeat a matter to us? Never, never. When we repent, it is gone. And so we can reflect that by the way we speak and the way we don't repeat an offense. When it's already dealt with and you're repeating it, it ruins a friendship, it ruins a marriage. It ruins a marriage. Let it go. Proverbs 12, 17 says, rash words are like sword thrusts. Rash words are like sword thrusts. Have you ever been in an argument and it's just heated and it's going back and forth and then all of a sudden somebody says something and then it's silent. And either you know you crossed the line or they know they crossed the line because all of a sudden it's a sword thrust. It ends the argument and you win, but you crush the other person. Like sword thrusts are harsh and rash words. If we could guard our speech if we could guard it and restrain it, how much less pain would we cause each other? I'm not talking about Christians against unchristians. I'm talking about in our families, in our churches. Rash words are like sword thrusts. We hold the power to destroy somebody's trust or their security by what we say. Number three, under foolish speech, or is that what I called it? No, the abuse and the danger of words. Number three is deceptive speech. Deceptive speech. Our creativity, which is God-given, under the curse of sin, lends well to manipulation, lying, dishonesty, and other forms of deceit. Isn't that true? Our creativity gives us really incredible ways of manipulating words to say things and say, well, that wasn't technically a lie because I said this and I didn't say that. Proverbs 14.5 says, A false witness breathes out lies. A false witness breathes out lies. Now, this is talking about witness before a court. Some of you say, "Well, good, I'm not guilty. Of that I've never been on a jury, I've never been asked to witness." But you know what? In the way we witness to situations and circumstances and speak to people every single day, we are either upholding justice or we are destroying it. What is just? What is true? What is right? That's an illustration of how the abuse of speech deteriorates the safety and fabric of justice in a society. If witnesses are allowed to lie in our courts and so uh, sway the verdict of a, of a person on trial either to falsely accuse them or to falsely free them, that's an abuse of speech. That all comes through speech. I mean, the, the O.J. Simpson trial, if you're old enough to remember that, is probably just the greatest example like, wow, how could this happen? It's a series of small statements, day after day after day. It's all statements. It's all through the mouth. Is justice upheld or is it destroyed by the words of our mouths? And that's not just if you're a judge or a lawyer or a witness. That is you with your children. That is you with your coworkers. That is you with the clerk at the grocery store. Are we honest in our speech? Proverbs 6.12, 6, 6, I love this verse. A person who is wicked goes about with crooked speech, winks with the eye and signals with the feet and points with the finger. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. What does that speak to? Speak in straightforward, clear terms. The wicked person goes about with crooked, manipulated speech, winking with the eye. So you say one thing and you signal to somebody else that it's different, or you signal with the feet, or you point over here, you misdirect with your speech. You know what the Bible says? Don't worry about the consequences. Don't worry about the outcome of what you say. Say what is true and say it to everybody. Do you ever have one story for one person and another story for another person about why you made a decision or why you are where you are in your life? This is convicting for me because I've, I've departed churches before. Why did you leave a church? This applies to almost every one of us. We've all left a church in the last so-and-so so years, myself included. Are we clear? Are we truthful about why we decided to do what we did? This is searching for us. Are we able to say to the same person, this is why I left? And in secret, yes, that is exactly why I left. Or are there extra juicy things we have for somebody else? But we're going to signal our virtue over here and say, well, there was a good godly reason for this, but I'm going to go slander in the corner. This is searching for all of us. Do we go about with crooked speech or do we go about with clear, straightforward speech, saying exactly what we mean and not worrying about the consequence? The truth is, I think that we tend to manipulate facts, even subconsciously, because it protects our reputation. It erodes truth and trust in a community. When people can't trust what you say is 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 the reality, people don't rely on you to get an accurate witness to something that's going on. People just don't rely on you because they think they're, they exaggerate or They tend to shift things for their own to put themselves in a good light. It erodes trust in a community. And you know what our, our principle there is? We need to prize the truth and the upholding of a good community over our personal reputation. We need to prize the good of the community over how people might see us or react to us depending on what we say. But so often we are just trying to get a certain reaction. We just want somebody to think a certain way of us. That's why we spin our words the way we do. And the Proverbs says, Don't, that person will be destroyed beyond healing in a moment. So, the beauty of true speech. Uh, the Proverbs gives us a plethora of, of how to use speech to honor God and to build up our community, to spread knowledge through education, ideas, productivity, discovery, and progress. Proverbs 15, 7 says, The lips of the wise spread knowledge. This is knowledge about God, his creation. We need to recognize that all true science is that of discovery of God's nature. Every true statement belongs to God. If a statement is truly true, it is God's truth. Because God made everything. He is the Lord over science and technology and everything. And so anything that is good or right uh, through knowledge belongs to God. And we should use our mouths to speak of that. Proverbs 16.20 says, Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good to meditate on God's word and the scriptures will inform our imagination in truth and enlighten us about true reality. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. Some of the greatest progresses in humanity and scientific discoveries were done by the mind of a God-fearing scientist because in their hearts they recognize that God is a God of order, he is a God of truth and as I discover his laws, I recognize the beauty of his creation. He who Uh, gives thought to the word, will discover good. The sad reality is that in our culture, we're we're seeing an intense effort to run from God, to run from God's created order, to run from God's uh, natural order of family and sexuality. And it forces that movement to reject even facts of logic and science. We see certain scientific communities in contrast with the radical sexual agenda because they say this is just not scientifically backed by what you're saying. Those who run from God eventually have to abandon logic and truth. And so our words can advance and educate people in the truth of God. Whether we teach in a public school, a private school, a Christian school, at home, our words uh, spread knowledge about God. And so our words, which are informed by God's truth, can reconstruct the idea of truth in the minds of others. And so we need to be constructive, we need to be informed, and we need to be truthful in our speech. Second thing that we can see in the beauty of speech is the healing of the hurt and the guiding of the lost. Proverbs 10.21 says, The lips of the righteous feed many. The lips of the righteous feed many. The Bible says that man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We sustain our own lives by God's spoken word. And in 1021, we are reminded that the lips of the righteous feed many. And so by the strength and filling of Christ ourselves, we have the privilege to sustain life among the hungry and the discouraged. Our words can lift somebody out of lifelessness, give them hope, give them direction, Proverbs 15:4 says a gentle tongue is a tree of life. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Our words can be a refuge in a world which is committed to sin, backbiting, slander, rejection, defamation. Our words can bless and provide shelter in the way that we speak. Our words can provide shelter. Proverbs 10:31 says the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. Listen to this. Through the fog of life, by the Spirit of God in you, we have the power and the qualification to offer truthful guidance, to offer truthful direction to people. Now, I'm not saying we're all you know, psychotherapists or, or you know, credentialed biblical counselors, but what I am saying is that when you know God, you can point somebody to the reality of life. The lips of the wise know what is acceptable. So when somebody comes to you and says, hey, this is what I'm doing in my business or this is what's going on with my family, what do you think? We don't have to stand there and say, oh, I don't know, whatever's right for you, man. We can say, no, God's word says that this is how mankind is to live and act. And we can offer people a truthful way forward. Proverbs 16, 13 says, the righteous lips are the delight of of a king and he loves him who speaks what is right. I believe that that's just a signal that there is a premium paid for somebody who's willing to speak the truth. Right? Think of think of Daniel when he was in captivity and he was summoned before kings to de, to decipher dreams. Those who speak truthfully are summoned into high places because there is a premium on those who will say what is true, not what somebody wants to hear. The king delights in the words of wisdom. I want to share this with you. A study that was done in 1995 found, try to follow this, found that children who go on to lead academically successful lives, which very often in turn creates, um, you know, economically successful lives, children who go on to live successful lives in school hear, on average, 30 million more words than their unsuccessful peers By the age of four. By the age of four. So what that means is that children who go on to be successful in school get interaction from their parents way more than children who don't. By age four. No special learning techniques, just talking. Children need to hear our words to develop and to grow. Human contact through language is built into our development and our maturity by God's design. Words are designed to build us up as humans. If they're chosen correctly. So I want to conclude with a couple thoughts. There's kind of the contrast between the words under the curse of sin and words under God's redeemed humanity. But by way of conclusion, we need to be reminded that it's not just what we say or don't say that exercises wisdom. It's what we tolerate and hear from others. Proverbs 174 says that an evildoer listens to wicked lips. And a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. We often will sit and listen to the things that feed our sinful nature. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. And a liar gives ear to mischievous thoughts. What will we tolerate from others? Christian, this is not the time for you to be passive. It's the time for you to say these words are destructive. These words are sinful. These words are in rebellion against God. Proverbs 20, 19 says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Do not associate with a gossip. Do not associate with somebody who cannot stop babbling. Friends, we need to make social choices that reflect the wisdom that God gives us. Don't associate with a simple babbler if that's all they are about. Despite our fall into sin, despite our abuse of speech, God has not abandoned language as a key means for redemption. In fact, when Jesus came, he was called the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. God has not abandoned language and words as a means of reaching and redeeming humanity. In fact, his son was his word. God's revelation of himself came through the living word, and the living word left with us the written word words of life, we have them here. God's own word to us that can inform our minds and our hearts. I'll go on even further to illustrate God's redeeming work though, because he even used language to prove that he had begun to reverse the sin and the curse at Babylon at Pentecost where God had previously scattered people and divided them by confusing their language. At Pentecost, he sent tongues of fire to speak the works and wonders of God in the language of everybody. So at Babel, he confused language. At Pentecost, he united people around the knowledge of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. The works of God had been heard in every language which they had never previously been done. God used language to prove that his knowledge would spread over the whole earth. When Christ spoke to his disciples before he was betrayed, he told them, he said he was going to wash their feet. And Peter said, you need to wash my whole body. And this is what Jesus said to Peter. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Christ has cleansed us by his word And he has left his spirit with us and in the world with the command to address one another with spiritual songs and hymns. And so the words that we choose, the way we choose to interact with one another is a reflection of God's work in us. It's a a reflection of redeemed humanity, the way that we speak. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Jesus later went on to say that the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. The mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. If you find your mouth is just full of nothing but sin and negativity, don't think about disciplining your words. Think about drawing near to God and inviting him to cleanse your heart. When I was, I was a teenager, my mom told me that, I, she sat me down and she said, you are so sarcastic with everybody around you and it's hurtful. And it was mostly directed at my younger brother, Dave. Just sarcastic and put him down. And my mom sat me down and said, you're, you're just, you're not nice. Your words are unkind. And I took that so hard because I realized it wasn't just my humor that needed examination. My heart was just far from God. And so because of that, I was drawn back to God by his goodness. And so may our hearts be filled with the truth and love of Jesus Christ.